This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took his wife into his home. The Gospel of the Lord. One of the things that I like to do, I just broke this microphone. One of, the, one of the ways that I like to pray with scripture, to meditate on scripture, which is not just to read it, it's not even to read it uh, thoughtfully, but to meditate upon it, to take little bits of scripture and really try to kind of chew on it and, and digest the word of God. One of the things that I like to do is uh, ask about the things that are not told in the story. Because for the most part, the gospels are relatively sparse in details, right? And I find that uh, they, they just sort of give a matter of fact accounting of the things that happened. And I find that if I stop and really think about it, there's things that I want, that I really want to know that aren't told to us. And, um, you know, one of the great benefits of this is you start to notice details and think about them that uh, if you have just heard the scripture read at mass or maybe just kind of read it cursorily, you kind of gloss over them and never think of them. So for instance, when I read this account of uh, Joseph, there are questions that I have that aren't really told to us in the scriptures. And we want to remember too that uh, the gospels are not they're not myths, they're not legends, right? They're not, uh, they're, the, they're a testament, the accounting of things that actually happened to actual people. So the details, uh, I think, are worth wondering about. So for instance, I want to know how Joseph felt when he found out that his young bride, who was with, uh, he had not, they had not known each other, how it is that she came to be with child. What is it that Joseph thought and felt, right? Was he embarrassed? Was he angry? Uh, did, you know, uh, I think Joseph, we know Joseph was a righteous man, but even righteous men have temptation. You know, did he maybe have a temptation to embarrass or humiliate her, right? What is it that went uh, through his mind? Those are the kind of things I wonder. I wonder the same thing about what was, you know, the Blessed Mother when, you know, and remember the, the tradition basically holds that Mary was probably 14, 15 years old when she conceived our Lord. And so imagine what on earth Mary must have been thinking when the angel appeared to her and said, 
you know, behold, you shall conceive and, and bear a son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, what is it, what is it, what were the, the thoughts that she had? What was moving in her heart, right? I wonder these things. But I, I really wonder especially about this passage. How is it that Joseph was able to respond to a dream? We've all had dreams. I don't think most of us take our dreams very seriously. But let's, let's just pause and really think about this for a moment, right? Uh, so in the, in, the natural, in the natural realm of things, Joseph is betrothed to this young woman who's going to be his new wife. There's probably a certain amount of joy and expectation that goes into that. Uh, he finds out that she is with child, which under any other circumstance in human history means exactly one thing, right? There are only two explanations for this woman being with child, and one of the explanations has only happened to one person in history, right? So uh, it's, that's probably not what he was thinking it was from. Uh, and he, I imagine, goes into some sort of inner turmoil about how to feel about this, what to do about it, and he makes a decision, and he decides, because he's righteous, that he will divorce her quietly. So he is going to uh, end this, this marriage. He's going to, but he's not going to humiliate her. He's not going to expose her to shame. Right? Uh, and then he has a dream. And in this dream, see, when the, when the Blessed Mother appeared, uh, when the angel appeared to the Blessed Mother, at least that was like a waking experience, right? She had an angel come to her as, uh, as she was in her room. Uh, J- Joseph had a dream. But apparently when he woke up from that dream, he was so thoroughly convinced that in this dream in which an angel appeared to him and told him something that was frankly outlandish. I told him, oh yes, Mary is with child, but don't worry, don't be afraid because she's conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit conceived the child in her, so take her into your home, you're gonna name the child Jesus. And he wakes up from this dream, this outlandish dream, I think most of us would say, wow, that was a weird, maybe my mind is just trying, you know, I went to bed troubled about this, and so I had this weird dream about what happened. But Joseph woke up convinced that this really was a message from the Lord, and convinced enough that he obeys, and he immediately does what he's told, and he takes Mary into his home. And so I wonder about this. I wonder, what is it that made Joseph so able to recognize that it was the Lord speaking to him in this dream? What is it about Joseph that made him so ready to obediently do something that seems almost unbelievable? Similarly, I wonder what, you know, what is it that made this young girl, the Blessed Virgin Mary, so able to spontaneously, immediately respond with total faith from the message that she received from the Lord? Of course, Mary doesn't have any, she was conceived that original sin we know, and she never committed sin, so she had less confusion than most of us do, but still, these are two people who are remarkably ready to receive God's call and to very spontaneously, without hesitation, to respond to it. Well, uh, Pope Benedict in his series that he wrote about the, about the life of Jesus, his littlest book is on the infancy narratives. And there's a, there's a paragraph in that book where he offers a little exegesis about Joseph. And he says that, you know, in the scriptures here, it says, Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man. And he says, if we look in the context of the Old Testament, for what the Old Testament says righteousness consists of, the Old Testament tells us, and it's in one of the Psalms, that the righteous man is like one who is planted near running water, 
and who ponders God's law day and night. And so the Holy Father tells us what he proposes is that within the context of the, the background of Scripture, um, St. Matthew is telling us in calling Joseph a righteous man that Joseph is somebody who uh, remains always close to the Lord and is always pondering the Word of God. He ponders God's law day and night. So he keeps, he keeps the Word in his heart and he thinks about it constantly. And so what we see is that uh, if, if Pope Benedict is correct in his interpretation, that Joseph is somebody who is not distant from the Lord and the Lord's not a small fact in his life. Uh, rather, the, the Word of God is something that really permeates his life and that he thinks a lot about. And I think here we have the beginning of a clue as to how he might be able to recognize the Lord when he speaks. How he might be able to wake up from a dream and have the certainty that the dream was a message from God, to be certain enough that he is going to take this woman into his home and believe that she is conceived by the power of God and that this truly is miraculous and that he truly is to be the foster father of our Savior. That it's because he meditates on God's law day and night that he's disposed to do this. So the reason I bring this reflection up is I am really of the opinion that the Lord actually speaks to us all, all the time. I think the Lord is constantly speaking to us. But usually, the Lord speaks very gently. He speaks very quietly. And I think what happens a lot of times is we simply don't hear him when he speaks or we don't recognize that it's him speaking to us. We don't, we don't know what it's like when God talks to us. And so the message comes, the message goes, and we don't receive it. I think, for instance, this is just one thing, uh, I think it's one of the reasons why we have a vocation crisis. Right? I think the Lord probably calls many young men and women, and they just never hear it because they're not in the practice of listening listening. I want you to think about somebody that you're really close to in your life that you know very, very well, right? A spouse, a parent, a sibling, a best friend, a child. Think about these people that you know so well that uh, maybe, maybe you know how they are going to react to something before they actually do it, right? Not because they're not free, but because, but because you know them so well that when somebody says or does something or something happens, you just have a feeling this is how this person is going to react to it because I've had long experience with them and I know them. Have you ever tried to explain uh, to somebody how you know what this person is thinking or feeling, right? You can't, it's not necessarily like a, a, you, a, deduct, a process of deductive logic. It comes from familiarity with that person. And probably if you know that person really well and somebody tells you something they said or did, you're gonna know right away whether it has the ring of truth. Or you're going to know right away, like, yep, that sounds exactly what, you know, so-and-so would do. Or you're going to say, hmm, I don't, I don't believe that. That doesn't, I have a really hard time believing they said or did that because I know them very well and that seems so foreign to them. Right, so we have these experiences in our lives of people that, that we know so well that we can recognize what they're like. And we can almost even anticipate how it is that they're going to respond to something. We can almost anticipate what it is they might want from us or what it is they might want to give to us. Now imagine if it were possible for us to have that sort of familiarity with the Lord. And I don't just mean uh, academic knowledge of theology. I mean a familiarity that comes from a life of relationship, a familiarity that comes from a life of knowing how the Lord is present to me 
so that you get a sense of who the Lord is and how he is towards you. And you get a sense of what it's like when God speaks to you. And you get a sense of what it's not like when, the God, when God speaks to you. So that when uh, maybe you have uh, a thought or your heart is moved to something or you're struck with a fear or you have some crazy dream, right? You have actually a background for saying, this, this does seem to have the fingerprints of the Lord on it, right? Because every time in the past that the Lord has spoken to me, it has been like this. And it's, uh, it's felt like this or the voice has sounded like this or whatever it is. I recognize this because I've done it over and over and over again all through my life. Or we can, sometimes the evil one, right? Uh, angels of darkness prayed as angels of light. Sometimes we have thoughts, movements that are not from the Lord. And if we're in the practice of knowing how the Lord speaks to us, we can actually recognize the false notes of angels of darkness and say uh, something that, it, that seems very much like it should be a movement from the Lord, but you say, this feels all wrong to me. This is not actually what it's like when the Lord talks to me. Imagine if we could have that familiarity. Brothers and sisters, we can have it and the Lord wants us to have it. Right? It's not an esoteric reality that's only available to monks or very holy people. Right? The Lord wants us to actually be in relationship with him. He talks to us. And if he talks to us, we can assume it's because he wants us to hear him. But we need to be in the practice. We need to become listening people. Right? So the image that um, so I actually preached, uh, the, this, this gospel came up a few days ago during the week. And so I preached a practice version of this homily to my faculty at, uh, at school mass. And uh, the image that keeps coming up in my mind is of a desert monk, right? Or any monk or nun, but specifically I think of the desert fathers, right? The ones who live that extreme life of isolation, who just leave everything behind and go out into the desert, like kind of like the John the Baptists of the Christian world, right? And I think about them, and even though probably, very probably nobody here is called to live that actual life, every vocation has a sign value. So every authentic vocation of the church teaches us something about our own lives, right? Marriage is a witness to us, even if we're not called to marriage. Priesthood, religious life, they teach us things about the Christian life, even if we're not called to them. So what is it that a, that a monk, especially like a desert monk, a, a hermit does? Because it seems from the, from the outside like a bit of a wasted life. Like they don't do anything, they just go live out there in silence and pray. But what they're actually doing is they are directing their whole lives towards listening. They're actually, in, 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 to, to the, in the extreme sense, they're, they're ordering their whole being to receptivity, to waiting on the Lord, right? which is really what the, the, the season of Advent is about, is, is waiting on the Lord, expecting his coming, actively listening, actively trying to be receptive to his coming to us. And they spend their whole lives ordered towards waiting on the Lord, straining to hear him, right? Not just waiting for him to break through the noise, through the distraction and you know, speak so loudly and disruptively that we can't miss it, right? They're actually trying to attune themselves so that they miss nothing that God wants to give them. And the reason this is an important sign for us is even though most of us can't just go out to the desert and just listen all day long, all of us need to have some sort of interior desert where we can go and listen and attune ourselves to the Lord speaking to us, to expect him, to wait on him, um, to actively try to hear him. So, uh, so th this isn't too abstract. I wanna give you two, I wanna propose two things that I think everybody here reasonably could do. Uh, and you, actually, if you have children, just, these might be wonderful exercises to do with your family. 
Right? Uh, you could do one or both of them. And maybe we have three days left until Christmas, four days if you count Christmas itself. Maybe you can give one of these little methods a test run for the next three or four days and see how it goes. All right, take 10 minutes and you can do one or two things. Um, take a short scripture, read it, and then ask the Lord, what is it that you want to reveal to me in this scripture? And then listen. See what thoughts arise. See what questions you have. See what part of the text attracts you or makes you want to look at it more closely or to know more. See if there are desires that come up in your heart, right? See if there's things that you feel called to do. See if, see if uh, you're somehow moved to prayer, right? That's, that's meditatively reading the scriptures, right? Uh, prayer is how we talk to God. Scripture is how God talks to us, right? So if we, if we read that scripture and meditate on it for just 10 minutes, we're actually disposing ourselves to really listen. We're straining to hear what God might say to us. And if we do this over and over and over again, if we do it daily or at least, at least frequently, then we will start to develop a sense of movement of the Holy Spirit within us when we pray. We'll start to recognize what it is that God is saying to us. We'll start to be able to recognize the things that we maybe thought were just our own thoughts or feelings are actually ways that God is moving within us. But we learn by practice to recognize that. The second thing that I would propose that you could do, this would be really wonderful maybe to do even with your family at the end of the day, is to get in the practice of looking back at your day and trying to identify where the Lord was present in your life. And it could be a lot of things, right? It could be some sense that, like things that we maybe don't necessarily reflect on later. Maybe it's something that you, were, you felt grateful for. Right, what, would, what would happen if every time that, that little, that faint feeling of gratitude came up, if we recognized, oh, I should actually give thanks to somebody when I feel thankful, right, and, we, and we recognize this as a gift the Lord gave me. Or maybe it's a way that your conscience provoked you. You can say, I really felt moved to do or not do something, and how did I respond to that? Right? Uh, or it's some sense that you felt loved or comforted or reassured. Right? It, it, it's, it's the Lord acts in our life in all sorts of ways, most of which we don't recognize. But if we, you know, if you could even go around to your kid and say, where do you think Jesus was present in your life today? Right? How does he, do you think he interacted with you? Then we start to get in the habit of really being present and attentive to the way the Lord is present in our lives. And once again, we start to develop this habit of recognizing how it is that he is towards us. So brothers and sisters, the Lord wants, the Lord speaks to all of us and he wants all of us to recognize him when he speaks. And if we want to imitate, you know, Mary and Joseph are obviously, they're very holy, but uh, if we want to have some participation in their ability to hear and to respond to God, I think an essential part of that is to be in the practice of listening, expecting, straining to hear his voice.